Hello, everyone. Ooh, loud. Welcome back to uh, Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church. My name is Andrew Metcalf. I am the technical director at Fellowship of Faith, and I am joined here by Mr. Steve Wells. I am here. And uh, Mr. Pastor David Gadini. Mr. Hello, Pastor. Everyone. Mr. Yeah. Pastor. That's the new yeah. 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 I like that. You should get a doctorate, too. It always struck me as pretentious doctor. when people go, like, the Reverend Doctor. Mm. You know, I mean, I know that's the official title, but it's just like, come on, really? You putting that in there? <laughs> I mean, that props to your degrees and all, but I prefer just Dave. Just Dave. I yeah. have a bachelor's degree. Can I add that on? I, I think you should. Yeah, <laughs> Andrew Metcalf, BA, or is it a B- Bachelor of Science? It's a Bachelor of Science. Oh, so so it's BS. Yeah, Andrew it's Metcalf. B- BS. Oh yeah, BS. Right. You, BS. I, I would. I I think that's there's a lot of truth to that. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, this is the podcast where we invite you to text in. Any question you have on God, on theology, on religion, on the Bible, on Christianity, on Jesus, on how it intersects with life. We started this podcast years ago, actually as a sermon series that began in our church, where we invite people to come into our church on Sunday morning in text and a question anonymously on anything I just mentioned to you. And it took off. And I think it took off for this reason. And it's why we've continued doing this up till through today is that a lot of people who are sitting in churches don't feel like they can ask the questions that they're really asking. They're embarrassed to ask them. They're ashamed to ask them. They think they're going to be judged if they ask them. They, they may be someone who's been a Christian for 40 years, and they feel stupid because they think the question is so simple that they should know it already, and people are going to look at them weird if they ask this and go, oh, man, you should know that. Or other people who maybe um, don't come from a Christian background, don't consider themselves Christian, don't really know much about Christianity, and are like, man, all these people here are like, you know, halos on their heads. And if I was to ask something like this, they're going to think I'm nuts. Hey, look, we're on the same place. All of us have questions, crazy questions, weird questions, far out there questions, simple questions, complex questions, questions about everything from why do we, why do Christians believe what they believe? How do you deal with a hard teaching of Jesus? What's the strange passage of the Bible all about? You, you know, I know that my mom used to tell me this, but it just doesn't feel right to me. So what do I do with that? If you've got them, this is the place that you can ask them. We welcome them, whatever they might be. Text them in 815-314-0363. Again, 815-314-0363. If you're joining us on 216 The Net, um, uh, through through Facebook, you can post your questions right there. If you're joining us on Fellowship of Faith's Facebook page, you can post your questions right there as well. Andrew's going to get them. We have an inbox of previous stuff going on. And before we jump in, I just want to comment that we've like transitioned from like skulls to like ornamental pears and pumpkins here today. So that one's a grenade. Very pretty. So. That, that, oh, that's a, oh, you pull no, it. This one's a grenade. Literally a grenade. So, so I shouldn't pull the pin on that one. Well, it depends All how right. the show's going. It depends how the show's yeah. going, yeah. That'd be a good yeah. way to sign off. That's- yeah. <laughs> All right, this is horrible. Pull the pin. <laughs> Which is kind of a so live stream, uh, Facebook Live. We've got uh, a comment. Dave is in a feisty mood. Ask your tough questions and he probably won't hold back. Tina, I knew that just by his body language today. Steve reads me. I, I, he knows my soul. I, I do. And you know what's funny is, is that you, you your body language reminds me a lot of my our new kitten. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, tell us about this new kitten that you weren't going to so, have, Steve. Because well, yep. So I'm a, I'm a loving you, you, father and and husband. That's what I'm going to credit this to. And I'm compassionate. <laughs> Keep telling yourself. Why does that, everybody right? laugh when I say that I'm compassionate? <laughs> I, I am. Mean, you were smiling as you said it. So. <laughs> Are you sensitive and gentle of soul, Steve? I really am, probably more more than what people think, because you know I can come off as a little, I don't know, gruff sometimes, maybe okay. a little That's insensitive. A there you go. But I'm really caring, and I love people because <laughs> because I'm called to. <laughs> Doesn't mean I have hey. to like them. <laughs> I am called to love. Isn't that the truth of the Christian faith? Yes. You know why do we yes. die? I'm yes. doing this because I want to do it. Yeah. I'm called to do it. Right. Yeah. So the cat, yeah, we rescued the cat. It was it was a little kitten. Okay. And it's black, you know, it's Halloween. So we're still looking for a name. So if anybody has a creative name, it's all black, but little white mittens. And no, I'm not going to name the kitten mittens. Mittens or boots. <laughs> or boots or any of that stuff. So if you've got a cool name, let us know. But um, no, the, the, I'm, I'm actually falling in love with this cat. I would call him unlucky. Unlucky. I mean, he's black and you swore you weren't going to keep him. Blue. Oh my gosh. 
okay, Tina, you've been talking to Maya. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a call him. That's a it's not a coincidence. Call you've him, been uh, talking to my daughter. So <laughs> call him Albino Foot. It's a good blues albino name, foot. like mud mud. It really foot? rhymes. Albino yeah, foot. I mean, it, it rolls off the tongue very well. <laughs> a little Albino Foot. <laughs> it's a good yelling name. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, uh, the cat was, I was watching the news this morning, having a cup of coffee and, you know, he just comes up and snuggles. Right. So now. he's an indoor cat. He is. Oh, okay. Yeah, he is now. Okay. He is now. <laughs> and already potty trained litter box. Like, so where, where'd you get this thing was? I thought it was like some feral cat roaming it, around. It was a feral cat okay. roaming around outside of our house. Okay. And so we have two Tomcats around our neighborhood as well. And so our, our fear was that those cats would have just torn them apart. Yeah. Because territory. And so Barbie went and got a live trap, trapped the cat, brought him indoors. We were going to take him to like a, some rescue place. They weren't open when we wanted to go. And then it was two days later that they were open. And then I find my daughter and my wife yeah, in my yeah. in my wife's office hugging with tears because <laughs> they knew that I was planning on taking the cat back. And I'm like, look. I am a very sensitive person. I love you too. I don't want to see you in any pain or sadness. I'm I'm not saying that this is like a non-negotiable. So what I did is I said, go into the bedroom. You guys come up with your best case. Write it all down. <laughs> present your case to me. And then we'll we'll go from there. And so we did. We wrote up a contract. We now know responsibilities, who's doing what. And it's all written in stone. Not a that's a, that's a vital thing weeks. to have. Otherwise, you're it doing really it yeah. It really is. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, that that was a good move. So, things are going well with the cat. I have to say that I'm enjoying it because it's kind of, it's a lot like me. <laughs> <laughs> I go do my gruff, thing. Gruff, a little gruff. I'm independent. Sometimes I want affection. Sometimes I don't. I'll let you know by my body language. Right? There you go. So there you go. So that's why I I, I see your. Uh, is piss and vinegar, is that a bad thing? Your body language said piss and vinegar this mm. morning. Mm -hmm. So when Tina said Dave is in a feisty mood, that's what I mean by that. So let's ask some good, tough questions and get you riled up like the question is catnip. <laughs> I, I think I have a good one to start with. All right, uh, let her rip. Under what grounds is remarriage permissible? Oh, <laughs> under what grounds is remarriage permissible? Contract breaking? I don't know. Right. Are you asking me? I don't know. Okay, Both no, of you. No, let's go with Dave. Permissible for who? That's all it says. Under what grounds is remarriage permissible? I'm the, assuming in situations of divorce or death. Yeah, and, and, and here's the piss and vinegar for you, Steve, even though this really isn't the full board yet. Okay. The reason I'm kind of asking that back is because within 2000 years of Christian history, there have been certain groups or certain callings that would not allow remarriage in certain cases that would be allowed for other people in other cases. Mm. Give you a case in point. And if our uh, Orthodox brothers and sisters are listening out there, fact check me on this. But if I remember correctly, in belief, uh, if I'm remembering this correctly, bishops or priests, if you will, in the Orthodox Church, like Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, who are allowed to marry if their spouses die, are not allowed to remarry. Mm. Now, I'm not going to swear that that's still the case today, but there had been historical precedent for that type of thing. But I don't think that's the spirit of the question here today. I think the spirit of the question is, what is the biblical warrant for remarriage mm -hmm. for um, the, the average, ordinary, everyday person is God's wishes and commands, if you can put it that way, apply to us all. Well, the Bible lists a few. If your spouse dies, you are free to remarry. You can read about that in Romans chapter 7. If your spouse has been unfaithful to you, um, um, sexually unfaithful to you, the, the Greek word is porneia, from where we get pornography from, but it shouldn't equate to pornography as you think about it. It's a broad category that goes beyond simply meaning um, adultery, though that would certainly be included. But if there's some kind of sexual immorality in your spouse, that, according to Jesus, would be grounds for divorce and remarriage. Specifically, you could read Matthew 19 or Matthew 20. Um, the exact chapter is escaping me, but you'll find it quickly enough. Paul builds on this. And what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 7 is he adds another category on top of it. And it's very fascinating the way Paul puts it. Because he says, literally in the Bible, now this is coming from me. This isn't coming from the Lord. 
arguably meant to be Jesus there. So he's saying, look, I'm not carrying this teaching on from Jesus. I'm just trying to apply some practical wisdom as I see it from my understanding of the scriptures as a whole to this situation that's plagued people, well, in the last, not just today, but for the past 2,000 years. And he says, if a believing spouse is married to an unbelieving spouse, and that unbelieving spouse decides to leave, let him or her, that in that case, you are also no longer bound. But what's fascinating, uh, and therefore, meaning no longer bound to that marriage vow, and therefore free to remarry. Okay, just to make that explicit. What's fascinating about that case in 1 Corinthians 7 is Paul seems to just be attempting to bring practical wisdom to any number of scenarios that can happen in marriage today. Now, what some Christians have done is they've looked at these biblical exceptions to marriage, if you will, or these biblical allowances for divorce and remarriage, right? Specifically remarriage. And have said, it's just these three. It's if your spouse dies, it's if there's some kind of marital unfaithfulness and, uh, you know, sexual unfaithfulness and, or immorality in one way or another. And third, if there's what they would call desertion. And some have taken a conservative approach, if you will, and going, that's it. Others, however, have looked at what Paul has done in 1 Corinthians 7 and have taken a conceptual approach going, the Bible is not trying to mandate every single instance when divorce and remarriage may be allowed. So we're going to follow not so much the word of Paul, but the pattern of Paul. Does that make sense? Yeah. Which means there are, it would seem, other exceptions for remarriage that could still be God-honoring even beyond that narrow line, so to speak. Now, Both of these have um, their merits. Both of these approaches have their dangers. Both of these approaches can be abused. Neither of these approaches is really practiced perfectly. Whatever a doctrinal statement of faith might say in a church body or a church, there are exceptions to this, of course, but by and far. And so that's the starting point to the conversation. My personal beliefs is that In a day and age where divorce has become so frequent, the church, I believe, has become, in a spirit of grace and understanding, inadvertently, also very permissive. In the sense that it's almost treated as no big deal anymore, and the words of Jesus really aren't held that seriously anymore. Um, There's issues with this, because it becomes hypocritical. That when you also look at other sexual struggles or sins, namely LGBT issues or homosexuality, why, why a rigid stance might be taken on one thing that's spoken about actually less in the Bible than something like divorce and remarriage. Um, so there's issues with that there. Yeah. How, however, sometimes the rigidity of the other school also seems to be getting a little, um, shall we say, letter of the law rather than spirit of the law. You know, there's this great great article I read called How to Exegete a Stop Sign. All right? And what it does... Sounds good. No, it's great. It's fantastic. (laughs) What it does is it looks at different religious traditions and how they would interpret a stop sign. Mm. And the fundamentalist would come to the stop sign and he would stop... And he would stay there until the stop sign tells him to go because it says stop. Yeah. Right. All communication has an interpretive edge to it. Likewise, they would talk about like your typical Lutheran and they'd say, I don't know. They just kind of look around and they see what everyone else is doing and everyone else seems to blow the stop sign. So they blow the stop sign too. Right. Yeah. Both are kind of missing the spirit of it. And so if you're in this place and you are maybe divorced or widowed and, and you're wondering um, what remarriage might look like for you in your context, what I would do is I would either suggest text back in specifically, and we can talk about that instance here on the show, or talk to your pastor. And if you don't have one, I encourage you, find one. 
one who's teaching the word of God, one who's committed to the word of God, one who is looking um, to do so with both sensitivity, but also honesty. We're here at Fellowship of Faith in McHenry, Illinois. If you don't have any place to connect with, you can connect with us at fellowshipoffaith.org. But if you have that local church, I certainly encourage you to pursue that avenue as well. And uh, don't, don't leave this one to just guessing, if you will. Likewise, if you're in a situation where you are divorced and remarried, and you're wondering, am I honoring God in this? Uh, maybe you still feel guilt about this, or, or shame about this, or, or doubt about this, which I find is far more frequent than you would think. And often people bring in a certain degree of what I would say poison into their new relationship because they haven't really resolved those feelings of guilt or doubt or shame and they taint the new thing that has begun. Also talk to us or that person. We'd love to kind of help you steer it through it. But that should be enough to get you at least launched into the whole value of this. Mm -hmm. The direction, more. yeah. Yeah, yeah. one thing I thought of when you were talking about that is I mean, you mentioned how high the divorce rate is um, and how we might not put a, enough emphasis on that as, as the church with you're making a covenant with God and with the other person. But is that more of a symptom of not doing enough before marriage to, I don't know, discover each other, whatever, like, like premarital counseling, that type of thing. Hey, before you you know, make this commitment, here's what it means. And here's how you should do it. I don't know. It seems like the divorce rate is so high. And is it just because people are getting married too quickly or without thinking about it or, or what? Here's a point of confusion I see that exists among a lot of people as well. The Bible makes a distinction between divorce and remarriage. We always talk about them as one and the same. And of course, you're not going to remarry unless you're divorced because that's, that's not our cultural way and we don't live in a polygamous society, right? Mm -hmm. It would seem that the Bible, while certainly not encouraging divorce, going God does not like divorce, anyone who's been through a divorce knows firsthand how miserable and horrible of experience and it's not God's intention, right? But it would seem that the Bible would allow divorce to occur in more circumstances than remarriage. Because mm -hmm. remarriage automatically assumes having sex with someone who is not your first spouse. And there may be reasonable times and ways where you have to divorce another person. But just because that makes you free to remarry in the government's eyes doesn't make you necessarily free to remarry in God's eyes, even if it makes you free to remarry in a church's, a local church's eyes. And we all have this, I think, dirty tendency of going, well, what, what the government says is right and wrong must be what God says is right and wrong, so we've got to conform God's right and wrong to the government's. Well, no, the government has a far greater degree of freedom in certain areas where God would not, particularly in this area of divorce. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I do think, Andrew, to, to your point, you know, uh, I can speak to so many different circumstances and people and relationships to where they are focused on the day versus of marriage and, and everything that it's going to be that they've been dreaming about, you know, since they were little and whatnot and, and versus focus on focusing on what comes the day after what comes on the day after that, what comes the day after that. And what are those issues that you're going to run into? And have you even thought about that as a couple before even launching into this marriage, you know? So, um, well, Dave knows this, but I was, I'm certified in, in the Simbus, which is saving your marriage before it starts. And so, with this, it really, you do, you take a, uh, two as like, I had Dave and Tina do it as a, as individuals. Yeah. Um, yeah. and they've been, how long have you guys been married? 25, 25 years. years yeah. 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 Um, but still it's, it's still fun to, to take it and to see where you're at and mm -hmm. where you line up because it covers such a broad spectrum of things, you know, from finances to love languages to you name it. And all that stuff is great to know before you're actually getting married or even just, just after you're getting married, because it, it helps you know who that other person is and what their strengths are and where maybe some of the, some of the conflicts are going to arise and how to resolve those conflicts. And so if you are pre-married, um, if you are just married, if you've been married for 20, 25 years, my email address is as well as at fellowship of faith.org. If you want to go through that, I'd be happy to go through it with you. It's yeah. fun. Uh, but it's also important. So, mm -hmm. um, real quick, just want to give a shout out. I see on our, on our live uh, page, Derek Johnson, my brother, 
love this guy so much. He played he played uh, drums for for us when we were in Lincoln. Oh, and, fantastic! Uh, so I got to know Derek and and Maria right. and their their boys and whatnot. Uh, so I hope you're doing well. This guy can 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 cook barbecue like nobody's business. All right, Derek, when are you mm-hmm. coming to Chicago, man? Please, you come. Yeah, come please, on. You play please, some drums on a yep. Sunday. Yep. We, we, we're we'll we're known for cookouts at our church. Yeah. So. Yeah. Love to have you. No, fantastic. Thanks for listening today, Derek. Super Glad to have guy. you tuning in. So, yeah, again, if you have questions, text them into 815-314-0363. Um, let's jump into a new one here. This came up, I think, at the end of last week's episode. We were talking about Martin Luther and the Reformation and all those things. Yeah, yeah. And this person asked, well, states, thoughts on Martin Luther being anti-Semitic? Yeah, yeah. Thoughts on Martin Luther being anti-Semitic. Martin Luther has written some of the harshest things you will ever read about the Jews. Um, his One of his later works before he died, um, forgive me if I'm missing the dates here by a year or two, but I believe Martin Luther died in 1546, and I believe in 1543, he published a work called On the Jews and Their Lies, which is kind of like a almost a kill them all, like God sort them out kind of treatise. I mean, it, it's just like the, the rantings of a bitter old man, um, which in many ways Martin Luther seemed to become. Um, it's fascinating because I want to talk about the, the charge of being anti-Semitic. And I also want to talk a little bit about some of the journey Martin Luther took himself as a person, as well as some of the nature of polemical writings of the day and age. You know, early on in Martin Luther's ministry, so to speak, Martin Luther was in love with Jews. He seemed very favorable to the Jews. He spoke very highly of the Jews and wrote very positively about the Jews. He learned Hebrew, in fact, and studied Hebrew from from the influence of of, of rabbinic traditions and rabbis and things like that, and, and seemed to almost operate with a certain sense that, wow, if the Jews were just presented with the clarity of the gospel, um, independent of all the junk that the church has brought into it, they would come and see how Jesus is the fulfillment of all that they covet, uh, of all that they um, um, hold dear and, and, and love in the Torah um, and, and see Jesus as the natural fulfillment. Well, th- that happened to certain degrees with certain ones, but not, not in a by and far movement. Now, that may contribute in part to Martin Luther's change of attitude later on. Uh, things that Hitler himself used to his advantage during the Third Reich, um, pointing back to Martin Luther to kind of undergird his case for 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 showing the Jews to be this this awful race or this 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 feared race or this fra- this race that needs to be kind of stamped out from our our, our culture in existence. Um, but I think it goes something uh, somewhere deeper than that. And here's the charge of anti-Semitism. It's certainly easy to charge Martin Luther as being an anti-Semite. But here's the problem. He speaks the exact same way about every single other people group that doesn't agree with him. Mm. Catholics, Anabaptists, Muslims, and people he just flat out doesn't like. All right? You can comb through Martin Luther's writings and the same kind of invective that he brings towards the Jews, he speaks with the same, if not more, virile hatred, (laughs) or at least how it would appear. Um, And I'm not going to let him off the hook, all right, with how it would appear, but I'm going to circle back to that in a minute with all these other groups as well. So it doesn't seem so much that he's targeting one race or nationality out among all groups as much as he's just a man. If you're on the wrong side of them and you don't agree with them, it just comes rolling with the harshest, most what we would call evil language um, without trying to soft pedal it at all that you could possibly imagine. And part and parcel, this was somewhat of the um, polemical writings that existed in the 15th century. It really changed later in the 16th and 17th century, maybe because of things like the 30 year war and all the religious persecutions and people going, oh, my gosh. But man, like you read the writings back then and it's like. It's like sixth grade boys, I, I swear, just like, <laughs> you know, trying just to up the feuding. ante on each other or, or something like that. One of my favorite is, is this thing called Against Hans Wurst. And um, Hans is like a common German name, um, like we would say John or something like that. 
and worst means sausage. So it's John Sausage. And, and it's not just kind of random. Um, but, 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 but like to call someone a Hans Worst would be kind of like calling someone a clown in this day and age, but a little bit, I think, more insulting. Yeah. And I forget who it was in particular. I had to look it up again. But there was this guy who was standing against him, one of the nobles or one of the princes. And he just writes this whole treatise called Against Hans Worst, which is against this local prince or theologian. And it basically ends with him saying, in, and I will quote Martin Luther in his exact language, I wish he would just shit in his pants and mold it into a sausage and gobble it up like the sausage-eating cow that he is. Yeah. That, that's how the guy wrote. Yeah, we need more of that. We need more of that. <laughs> yeah, we need more of that. The <laughs> thoughts uh, expressed on this show are not... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this is the stuff that gets sanitized out and the stuff that when you go, whoa, that's in there and somebody gets you wanting to read theology, you know? But, you know, I, I'll simplify it, maybe my take on it, where Martin Luther, right? Because I, I can picture him, you know, a lot of his songs that he wrote was in the bars, right? They're drinking songs. They're in 6-8. You know, you got your mugs in hand. Yeah, yeah. A he, mighty he's, fortress. He's like, yeah, picking up the bar. So I, right, I right. see, I can I can just imagine and envision Martin Luther going into the pub. You know, he, he got on his, his outfit to go out to the bars or the, the pubs or whatever. He goes there, he's in a jolly mood, you know, because he's going to have a few beers. He gets a yeah. few beers in him and he starts singing, writing songs, Mighty Fortress is our God, you know, all these things. And then, you know, that tipping point that you see people go through where it's like, <laughs> okay, you should have stopped. You should have stopped <laughs> yeah. after that yeah. last beer. He continues to go and he has maybe three or four more. And then he goes home and he gets angry and bitter and he starts writing these things. And then there's the outcome of, of what you're talking about. I don't know. I think that's more of, of what I would see on like a lifetime series or something. You Martin know, Luther. One of the great, they should produce that. They, they, they honestly should. Yeah. Um, one of the great paradoxes or, or, or polarities that you'll see with, with Martin Luther is on one hand, you have someone like Hitler using Martin Luther to his own devices for his own advantage and leveraging his writings to aid him in that kind of thing. On the other hand, you have someone like Martin Luther King, Mm. Not Junior, but his dad, mm -hmm. whose name was actually Michael, but changed his name to Martin Luther as opposed to Michael Luther because of the impact that Martin Luther and his writings had on him. So you have the grandfather of the civil rights movement on one hand, and you have Adolf Hitler on the other hand, both drawing from, from Martin Luther as a quote unquote either inspiration or as an easy tool yeah. to their agenda. But regardless, I think it just kind of raises something important. Um, we are unfortunate to be in a denomination that calls itself Lutheran, named after Luther, because it can lead you easily to think that that means we espouse Martin Luther's teachings above all. Well, some of them. But the mistake that's made is that we're followers of Martin Luther and not Jesus. Mm -hmm. And anytime you're following a man other than Jesus, you're eventually going to get yourself into hot water. A woman as well. <laughs> and so, you know, Luther himself never wanted the Lutherans to be called Lutherans. He just wanted them to be called evangelical, which means people of the gospel, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, not, not even so much as what evangelical has even come to mean in our day and age, but uh, yeah. Um, so just some, some insights on that as well. But I can't yeah, wait, to have, can't wait to have can't wait to conversations with him someday. I, I think that'd be fun. It would be you, fun. You're gonna leave either so mad, yeah, you know, or you're gonna have the best time of your life. I think we'll probably wrestle. I think that's gonna happen <laughs> too. I'm gonna wrestle yeah. Martin Luther. You think he could drink you under the table, Steve? I'm sure he could. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a belly under that robe. Yeah. I think he got yeah. a beer gut. Yeah. Anyway. But are you gonna are you bringing your beer gut with you to I don't have, have a beer gut right now because I don't drink that much, so <laughs> I, I do like to. Didn't you used to be like two twenty? You said two or something like that. Two or three. Two or three. I cannot imagine you at two or three. Like, what are you now? We're putting you. Do you, on record do you remember here. like uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Yeah, right? yeah, the Blueberry Girl or something like that. Yeah, when she blew up, yeah. but probably more looked like an Oompa Loompa. Yeah, gotcha. Mm. So okay, yeah. okay. Because I did have red hair back then. We got to get a picture of that and post on Shame you and this dang uh, We'll Photoshop like one of those like you know scrubbed yes, over yes. things over. I need one of those. <laughs> Halloween costume next year. <laughs> I already got it. I'm a year ahead. Sweet. No more Popeye. <laughs> okay, let's move on to another one here. Um, 
what are your thoughts on the ethical dilemmas of vaccines? Mm. Example, some vaccines consist of aborted fetal cells. Do vaccines go against the will of God and should Christians refrain from vaccinating themselves and their children? Okay, so let's talk about vaccines in general, and then we'll, of course, talk about the COVID vaccine in particular, because I'm sure that this is what's prompting the question, um, though maybe not. Regardless, I'm so glad to have you asking this. A lot of people are really um, up in arms about this and turmoil about this, having crises of faith over this, um, using religious exemptions both reasonably and also as an excuse <laughs> to what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So the common objection to vaccines is that it uses a a fetal stem cell line that may have come from aborted fetal tissue. Now with the COVID vaccine in particular, there's two fetal stem lines, stem cell lines that it comes from. What one is, and let me me pull it up here just because I need to remember it. It's uh, HEK293 is the main one as far as I remember, and I believe there's another one that's used by, I don't know if it's by Moderna or if it's by Johnson and Johnson, I'm not sure, but there's a second that I've heard that's used out there as well. We really need a bioethicist on this show and a medical doctor to go as deep into this answer as I would like. This is not my area of expertise. What I can share with you is a couple of particulars that I have read is I've wrestled with this myself, but then more importantly, frame it against a broader ethical question or ethical way of navigating these types of things that we find. From what I have read, not just the COVID vaccines as they're rolling out today, but any number of medications that we use have benefited or used at some point the HEK293 stem cell line. Now, let me clear up what I've read to be a myth about the stem cell line, but also what a stem cell line is. Basically, a stem cell line is a family tree, meaning, to put this bluntly, when they're making the COVID vaccine, they are not taking aborted fetal tissue and putting it in a blender with whatever else they put it in to make the actual vaccine you're getting. What they are doing is taking cells that are inherited from cells that have been taken from cells that have been taken from cells that have been taken from cells in a great, 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 great grandfather sort of family tree that goes back, depending on which stem cell line, anywhere from 38 to 46 years. And that original stem cell may have been taken from aborted fetal tissue. There's some debate on that, and I've read both things. I've I've read some that say it has been, or it is very likely that it was taken from aborted fetal tissue. And I've read others that it's speculative whether it was taken from voluntarily aborted fetal tissue, or possibly from aborted fetal tissue that was done in the case of a mother's life, or even a miscarriage, or, or, or something of sorts. I don't know enough about it to go there, but I have seen you will get different people waving different flags and arguing different things. And that's where we really need the bioethicists and doctors on the show to help us out. Um, But let's just assume for a moment that it is taken from aborted fetal tissue cells. It's still 46 years of generational stem cell reproduction happening all the way back there. Now, I can't speak for everyone. There are crises of conscience in this. And I've spoken to many Christians who who really go, no, I can't do vaccines or, or this vaccine because I'm leery of this. And it's opened up their eyes to how it's used in other vaccines and creating dilemma there. But they go, well, we don't see COVID as serious as maybe polio. So, you know, if I'm strong and healthy, maybe not this, but not that. I've seen other Christians go, you know, I got the shot. Um, I didn't go into it with a clear conscience, but weighing other issues, I just decided it was the right way to go. And I think there needs to be some charity on both sides of this debate. And I think the more that we can practice open debate and charity and discussion without politically polarizing it, the healthier it will be in the body of Christ, maybe as salt and light in the conversation, as opposed to getting fueled into the political agendas that each side might have. Where I want to frame it though, Andrew, is into something called formal immaterial evil. 
And these are the categories I'd like our listeners to kind of hear now. All of us at some level participate at some degree or extension in evil in this world. There is no getting around this, but Christian ethicists and philosophers and theologians have made a delineation between what they call formal evil and material evil. Here's what it means, and here's how it applies to this discussion. Formal evil is taking a direct part in some kind of evil. Material evil is having an indirect and arguably even unintended role in some kind of evil. So let me give you an example. Participating in formal evil would be going and buying a gun and giving it to your friend who you know wants to murder someone, right? You have played a direct part in a knowing part participating in that evil, not to mention maybe even just buying the gun and pulling the trigger yourself, right? This would be an example of material evil. You are a, um, you own a metal smelting company and you take iron ore um, and and other materials and alloys and, and you just make these and you sell them on the open market. And some of these alloys happen to be bought by um, gun manufacturers who then make them into guns, who sell their guns on the open market. And then those guns are purchased by many law-abiding citizens, by those who are looking for self-defense, by those who enjoy to hunt, but also by those who might in turn buy that gun and then go shoot someone um, and kill them in a, shall we say, illegal or evil sort of way. That would be the difference between formal formal evil and material evil. Um, another example that I've heard, heard commonly put is, are you the doctor who is performing the abortion or are you a scal- uh, you know, scalpel salesman and it happens to be bought by hospitals who use the tool that you've sold to perform an abortion? There is no excuse for participating in the former. Christian theologians have come down consistently and said, you are never allowed by God. You have to resist formal evil, no matter what the price and at all costs. But when it comes to material evil, it comes down to a matter of conscience. And that just doesn't mean do what I feel like doing or what's expedient. But you really need to wrestle with God with that based on any number of factors that may play in. But the end answer to that is there is allowance to material evil at some level. Otherwise, you just can't function in this world. Um, and I can give you biblical reasons why, why, why this is propagated and, and, and how different churches have come down on different sides and different theologians <clears throat> over the eras have come down on different, you know, kinds of things. But, you know, this is a similar struggle that people have with just like investments. Mm. Um, you know, you, you put your money in a 401k and that 401k is diversified by a funds manager that you never met. And if it's done by like an index fund, even at that, it's just being put broadly across 5,000 stocks or 3,000 stocks or the Fortune 500 or whatever it might happen to be. And maybe some of those Fortune 500s hold subsidiary companies that don't do things that you would actually agree in. Or maybe you don't even do that. Maybe you open a checking account. And that bank lends to companies that you might have a less than savory view of, right? That would be material evil. Does that mean you don't open a checking account? No, but maybe it does mean that you wisely look at the bank that you're investing in for more than just the interest rate it can give you or the fees that it waives to some of the ethical things as well. And so that's how I think the vaccine debate really has to be approached because it really isn't a case of formal evil. It's a case, arguably, arguably, of material evil. And it's at that level that I think each individual needs to kind of wrestle through their level of participation. What I would encourage, though, of our Christian audience is not, I have not had the vaccine, so I'll show my cards and and I can talk about why. But I've met a lot of people who have come to me going, uh, you know, I'm looking for a religious exemption. But the reason they're looking for a religious exemption is not because they actually have a religious crisis of conscience over the vaccine. They just don't want to get it and don't want to be forced to and don't want to have to. Well, I get that. If you don't want to get it and don't want to be forced to and don't want to have to, and you think uh, for for certain policy reasons it's wrong to, that's fine. 
but object on those reasons and don't be hide behind the religious exemption because that's ultimately dishonest, even if it's making life more expedient for you. All right. All right. Was that feisty enough for you, Steve? It was very feisty. Does that feel good? You know, your feistiness wore me out. Okay. Actually, I'm just, I'm crashing from my sugar high. You you got to pop some more of those. I do. Yeah. These are, by the way, Reese's because we're looking for more sponsors. So Reese's, (laughs) I need you. Mini peanut butter (laughs) cups. Now, did you just participate in material evil because of the way that Reese's propagates obesity and diabetes in this world? Um, Every, everything um, in moderation. Uh, Okay. So I can have a Reese's and not get to two. So so will you get a vaccine in moderation, get one shot, but not two? Uh, No, (laughs) I'm not. You want me to show my cards too? When you said uh, formal versus material evil, I pictured a tuxedo. It was a different type of formal. It's very strange terminology, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and honestly, oh, we can get into why that terminology has been adopted and standardized and things like that. I'm giving those terms because if you look this stuff up in, you know, even in Google searches, but, you know, theology textbooks, the way that people write about it, this is the terminology that they'll use. And it is helpful at some level to just learn the categories and the lingo of those who are kind of discussing this stuff beyond the pop level. Well, and one of the things that, you know, wherever you go, you, I mean, you, you go so far into the, the webs, let's call it, um, that you'll see, well, this is the mark of the beast, you know? So what do you say to that? There's a lot of conspiracy theory yeah. around this. You know, I find like every 10 years, the mark of the beast is attributed to something else. I know one of the latest conspiracy theories going around with the vaccine is that they're going to put a dye in it and that dye is going to appear under ultraviolet if they go over there and maybe a code number. And, you know, conspiracy theories are, are fun and they work because they tap into our uncertainty, our fears and uh, the what if possibilities that, that truly could exist someday with technology. It's science fiction, right? Yeah, I love yeah. science fiction. Yeah. I love fantasy. And at some point, science fiction could become reality with technological advances, but it doesn't mean that it's it was true at the time. Like, and and well, I can tell you this most assuredly, that when John penned the book of Revelation and he wrote Revelation chapter 13, and he was talking about the mark of the beast, he wasn't talking about this. Yes. All right. He's talking about something more transcendent. He's talking likewise about something far more um, contextualized to his culture and the the culture that the Christians were in, in, in the nineties AD. Um, just like he, you know, I grew up in the eighties as a kid. And I remember back then, do you remember this Kent, you know, Steve, you may remember some of this too, but Gorbachev, Oh yeah, because back then, you know, the Russia was Gog and Magog yeah. and all mm-hmm. these prophecies from Ezekiel were, and then Daniel were applied to um, the Soviet union at the time. And of course you have Gorbachev who has the big red birthmark on his yeah. head. That was the mark of the beast when I was growing up. And I remember being a 10-year-old kid, hearing people at my church and hearing people talk about this. And, oh, what is it? What can it be? Look. A birthmark. You're you're just doing more harm than good. It's just biology. This kind of stuff. So could you you summarize the material and formal into intent? It's, you know, I think intent plays a large role in it, but it's got to be more... Uh, than intent. It's also the, the, the proximity of participation. Is my participation direct or distant? Now, intent is a part of it, Steve. So absolutely, I'm not taking that off because to sit there and be a mob boss and have other people do your dirty work, even though you might be a step removed, is still participation, yeah. right? Or, or intentional mm-hmm. participation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, that does play a, a, a large role. And I think um, it can be a helpful filter mm-hmm. to figure it out mm-hmm. as well. Of course, you're listening to 21.6 The Net right here. This is questions you never thought you can ask in church. And the best thing is you can ask those questions any time of day, 24-7, uh, 815-314-0363. Whenever the question hits you, just go ahead, uh, text that in, and we it. will address it on one of the shows. It is just that great. Or uh, right now. Or right now. Absolutely. It's true. Yeah. Um, and also while we're talking about that, we I am getting so close to getting the podcast sorted out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Share with us the podcast lament here, Andrew. Give us the 60 yeah. second on it. Yeah. 
essentially we were having problems with some of the episodes and recordings going out to the different Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google, those types of things. And they weren't playing nicely, <laughs> shall we say, because sometimes they'd show up on one platform and not another one. And I'm like, yeah. I have no reason why they are or aren't. Um, so finally, I have a theory. You have a theory. Yeah, I have a theory. Is this a conspiracy theory? Yes, it is. <laughs> the theory is, is that we've become so competitive with Joe Rogan that he is sabotaging us. Mm, that is true. So, We're waiting for that Spotify exclusive deal. To so kick in. it's going to have to be like a in the ring <laughs> wrestle match with Joe Rogan. <laughs> look, look at Stephen Fantasy World, right? <laughs> yeah. Even all three of us together would not Wait, be uh, able what, to do that. I want to talk about Feisty. You're wrestling Martin Luther and that's now true. Joe Rogan. True. I mean, this guy. Yeah, it's yeah, going to be good. He's got to get the octagon in FOF. You know? Three bald guys. <laughs> anger in there. Three bald guys in a ring. I'll just pit those I two. I think that's the name of a show there. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but no, so I've been able to move all the episodes to a new platform and it's some of the podcast existing podcasts haven't like recognized that yet. So it's, it's, it's a weird it's way of there. saying it. It's on some of the platforms, but not on all of them. So be patient with us guys out there. Past episodes are in process of being uploaded through these providers who are trying to figure things out on their end. They, they said sometimes it can take up to a month for it to update. So, yeah, you know, yeah. nothing Hang like in there speeding in there. But, but in the you, meantime, catch us on Facebook. If you want past ones, you just have to yep. look at 1230 to 1.30 every Wednesday afternoon, Central Time. Yep. Yeah, and if you do go to uh, fellowshipoffaith.org and to our FOF Plus page, there's a Spotify link there where you can play all of the episodes. So that one is up that to date. That up has date. everything Fantastic. from all the way Fantastic. back to 2018, I think. All awesome. right. Well, thanks for the update on that. While you're looking for the next one, today is a, is a, is a very significant day for me. Just wanted to share this okay. with you. And this like, is okay. this is not a joke. This is not funny. Although yeah. I'm smiling. Yeah, you are. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, we never know to trust you on this. Thing. I know you don't. No, today it marks the the anniversary of of me baptizing my granddaughter. Hey, one year, one, two years, two years, two years. I remember 2019 that. because I we had just moved here. What's her August, name again? Bexley. All right, so happy baptism yep. birthday to Bexley out there. Fan two Just years old already. I know. It's craziness, I know. man. And another one on the way. Yeah. A April fourth. Yeah. It's a boy. Little little boy. You know, my mom I hope I can say that. actually like every year wishes me a happy baptism birthday. Mm -hmm. I've never, I, I've done this with my kids. I haven't known other people to do it. And I used to kind of at first, like, it was always kind of cool, but like just, oh, whatever. And it's like, I, I've come to really appreciate that, yeah. Um, yeah. to be honest. And there is something really cool about that. Yeah. So, and this was super special to me because, you know, we went back to Nebraska to our old church and yeah. whatnot. The pastor yeah. ended up, you know, being sick on that day. I don't know. And so then uh, the the guest pastor, which, uh, you know, Ryan Mathias, Pastor Ryan Mathias? I don't know. Great guy. Mm. Uh, he's out in Seward, um, or at least he was at yeah. that point. He's a mm -hmm. campus pastor at Concordia yeah. in Nebraska. Super good guy. We've been friends for a while. But uh, he's like, Steve, why don't, why don't you do the baptism today? I'm like, That's cool. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. So even having that moment to kind of walk into it and just, oh, yeah, that's wild, man. That's cool awesome. stuff. So anyway, happy anniversary, your baptism today. Maybe Andrew could. Baptize your second grandchild. Somewhere. I'm hoping that they travel here. Yeah, that would be cool to bring the whole That'd caravan of, of people to to Illinois and yeah, um, yeah, it'd be cool that'd to be see that whole caravan coming down I-80. Yeah, all of our old. I'm picturing like 300 cars. Our old, I don't think it would be that <laughs> our many congregation. People. No, we're going to send out a whole invite to our old congregation. Oh, okay, so come on back. It'd be fun to do. It would. Yeah, take a road trip. Come visit yeah. us. Yeah. Um. Next question here. Uh, did the flood really happen or is it just a narrative to depict the diso the disobedience by mankind toward God? The pain and hurt it causes him when we do and his need to judge and discipline our actions. Good question. And people have interpreted it both ways. People who love the Bible and hold it deeply and sincerely. I personally believe it's a historic narrative. There's reasons for that. Um, but I have brothers and sisters in Christ who come down on the other avenue of that. There are pieces of um, each camp can come up with its reasons and evidences as to why it might be the case. Um, but I'm just going to put it out there to speak very openly about it, that it is a debated issue, but I personally believe it's historic. Yeah. Great question. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Um, this kind of goes into creation as well. 
uh, how come God let his cre- lets his creation die, like animals or even us? Yeah, doesn't it just stink? Yeah. Actually, it depends how you look at it. Well, maybe not. Because it's been argued that death may have been a blessing. According to the creation narrative that you'll find in the Bible in Genesis 1 through 3, as well as the way it's alluded to and talked about and built upon in other places, God never intended death to be a part of the human equation. Um, Death is the result of sin. Uh, Death is a result of the corruption that's come into the world because of sin. God by nature is life. And where God is, you find life. And when you're in communion with God and close to God and in, uh, shall we say, the orbit of God, if you will, um, life is abundant. But sin separates us from God. And so it automatically separates us from the things that emanate from God, mainly life, which means death. Death is given by God as a consequence of sin. And so at one level, you can say death is, the reason God allows it is because it's a judgment by God. Um, And I mean judgment in the very neutral sense here. It's a decision God made um, as a result of sin. At one level, you can argue that there's punishment in this. And I certainly can see that biblical trajectory that happens. At another level, you can also see it as a decision by God for the betterment of his creation to spare them from the propagation of degradation, decay, and wickedness. Can you imagine if you continued to decay both morally and physically, but couldn't die? I've stood by the bedsides of many people who have gone, I am worn out. When is the Lord just going to take me home? At some level, death is the enemy. At another level, death is nothing to be feared if you're a Christian, because as 1 Corinthians 15 will put it, the last enemy to destroy will be death when God will renew creation, meaning remove the decay and degradation and corruption, if you will, that becomes a part of the human existence as we know it, and therefore death as well. So, how's that? I think that We're all that covers it. it. Yeah, I think so. All right. All right. <laughs> Let me get more feisty on it. Nah, nah. <laughs> okay. Want to okay, want to wrestle? Okay, want to wrestle? Steve's ready. Um, you say wrestle or wrestle? Have wrestle. Eight minutes left. Eight yeah, minutes what do we got here left? in the inbox? Yeah. So this is a longer question, but I'm going to split it up into parts. Okay. How come no one ever talks about Matthew 17, 27? How come nobody ever talks about Matthew 17, 27? And what we are going to do is we are going to read Matthew 17, 27, For all those listening, here it is in the NIV. But so that you may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. You talk about that one much, Steve? Uh, I see it on billboards. You see it on billboards all the time. (laughs) You know, all the time. Imagine that's on bumper stickers and people just have no idea what it... Like, why why that verse? Honestly, I think John 3.16, when it's on a billboard, people have no idea what it's about and, you know, what's going on on a billboard either. You know, it's a story about the temple tax. And uh, this is within Judaism of the day, where Jews were required to pay a tax as part of supporting the temple complex and the structure and the religious establishment and things like that. So what happens here is um, religious leaders come and they go to Peter, you know, Jesus' disciple, and they go, how come Jesus isn't paying the temple tax? And Jesus goes, well, yeah, he does. And then Peter goes and goes, well, Jesus, do you? <laughs> you know, and, and, and I'm just going to read this here. He says, when Peter came to the house, Jesus was the first to speak. Why do you think, Simon, he asked, from the kings of the earth, why do you think that they collect duties and taxes from their own children? Uh, 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 from whom do you think they collect it? From their own children or from others? And Peter says, from others. Then the children are exempt, Jesus says, right? Which implies this, because Jesus is all about parables, going, hey, who's here before you? Well, Jesus, right? Who am I? He's saying, I'm the king. This temple is my house, Right? I rule this turf. And if it's his house, he's actually claiming to be Yahweh. Because all the temple is, is the house of Yahweh. Right? Mm -hmm. This is my house. Right? Or 
it's my dad's house, mm. if I can be a little bit more specific there, right? Since when do kings tax their own children for their realm? Mm. No, this is my kingdom. But he goes, but so that we don't cause offense, pay the tax anyway. But here's how we're going to pay the tax. Go fishing. You're going to find a coin that's going to appear in this fish. You're going to take it out of that fish. Just so you know that the way this is done and how the whole creation is in my hand. It's such a cool story, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know why people don't talk about this story more because it, it's pretty cool. I will tell you this. It appears in every church lectionary. So a lectionary is a, a, an organized systems of readings that a church will go through every year or three years. These go all the way back to the second century. Um, they actually go back into Judaism even before that. Um, and, and the point of a lectionary is to kind of cover a broad gamut of stories in the Bible, making sure they don't get missed just because this particular church likes to talk about this topic all the time or likes this preacher's kind of hung up on this kind of thing. It, it keeps you in the whole counsel of God, so to speak. Um, so it is talked about a lot in the lectionaries. It comes up as a reading. And, and uh, I, I got to throw this one back. Maybe you're just not going to church enough and maybe you're missing it when <laughs> it comes up in the three-year cycle. Or maybe when it comes up in the three-year cycle, your local church isn't actually reading it because I want to talk about something else and they cut it out for time or the guy preaches on something else. So, so that happens too. Um, but it is talked about in this way. Christians really are called not to give offense, even when they have the right to. Hmm. There are many things as children of the kingdom and because of the freedom that we have in Christ, we don't have to do. But I see this one quoted more Well, Paul will say this, you know, I'm free to eat meat. But if I'm among people to whom eating meat causes offense, this is Romans chapter 14, then I'll never eat meat again, right? Because I will sacrifice my own freedoms and rights for the sake of the conscience, faith, and out of love for someone who's struggling in some kind of way. Man, that's hard kind of stuff. Yeah. That's brutally hard kind of stuff when it comes about sacrificing your own rights or freedoms so as not to cause offense to someone else. Mm -hmm. And uh, we all love to talk about our freedoms and rights far more than we like to talk about sacrificial love. Yeah, I like that. Mm. But that's the way of Christ. Free will. We were just, Maya and I, on a, just taking her to school this morning, and she wanted to pick out the playlist for the drive. So she picks out uh, Cradles by Suburban. I don't know if you you don't know the song go listen to it mm -hmm. it's really good part of it is the the when you listen to it you think of like uh if someone is directing your moves like a like a robot or pinocchio let's say mm -hmm. so you, a puppeteer mm -hmm. and so then we got to discussing free will on the ride to school like how weird would our lives be if there if god didn't give us free will it would look very different puppets Basically, so free will, I think, should be our, our next show. Let's discuss you like it. the free will topic. I, I, feel I really like, do. Yeah, yeah. I really do. <laughs> Steve, Steve likes to drop the free will bomb. We can you know, del delve into it forever. If you need a if you need a movie to watch, um, I think it's Ryan Reynolds has a new one called Free Guy, which is based in for like free will and AI and those types of things. I thought it was and good. in this case where we have the freedom right in Christ to do many things that we shouldn't use that freedom either A, to indulge the sinful nature, or B, to insist on our rights over love for other people. And 1 Corinthians is chock full of advice on that, not to mention other places. That free will is a, is a tightrope. You know, you walk it. because, But really contradicts itself in the same, at the same time. You know, if it is a tightrope, and you have that free will, and you can choose to go one way or the other, you really got to walk that narrow road. I don't know if I'm making no any idea sense. what you're saying. <laughs> Steve in, is my mind, one, folks. in my Steve mind, in my mind, no, come on, think about it. You're on a tightrope, right? Or a very narrow road, right? You're yeah. on that road because you've chosen to be on that road, but you can, you can choose to do good or yeah. you can choose to not do good. Yeah. But doing so, good or bad, you still fall off the tightrope. Mm, no. Okay. The tightrope's bad. Meaning <laughs> Steve, it's I'm difficult to walk on. Actually walk a tightrope. I want to see you walk a tightrope, and I want to see you in the Oompa Loompa overalls with, Joe Rogan. with Joe Rogan. With Joe Rogan and Martin Luther. You can heaven to wrestling. That will be. <laughs> and we'll, we'll wrestle on a tightrope. <laughs> well, we're getting uh, the 30 second warning here from Kent today. So hopefully, next time, let's pick up and, 
and talk about that more. And maybe Steve will bring us a picture that we can put up on Facebook will, here and uh, and see him both in his 203 Oompa Loompa days, but also this week, Steve, our challenge to you is to try walking a tightrope. Okay. We want to see that. We want video. You know, we someone gave me a, what do you call it? A zip line one time. We first yeah, moved here. And yeah, some, I know. Some, some guy gave me a zip line. Yeah, it's it's so cool. Still in, I mean, my, just, still it, in it, my garage sitting in the tub. It just says love all in. over it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here, take my trash. Well, guys, thank you for listening today. This is questions you never thought you could ask in church. If we did not get to your question today, it's in our inbox. We will get to it, and you can text them in at any time to 815-314-0363. Again, 24-7, not just when the show is live. You can text them in to 815-314-0363. We will get them. We will get to them as soon as we can. Thank you so much for listening, whether you're on 216 The Net, whether you're listening through podcast and recording, um, whether you're joining at Facebook, we are live every Wednesday from 1230 to 1:30 Central Time. Um, signing out. God bless. Keep asking questions. Yeah.